Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this new series called Faith Righteousness, the Ultimate Revelation of God. Now, I call, I'm calling this because this is so very important. I hope you can get this right off the bat so that you'll understand the importance of everything that we're going to be covering in this series in both the audio and the video messages. And as always, I'm going to give you as much as I can in these video messages. Put it out there. It's a free gift that we're giving to the world. And then we will make an audio message for people who want to go deeper, who want to take a deep dive, who want to live this, teach this, who who want more more understanding about it. And so, uh, and also with the audio messages. Whenever people purchase the auto messages, that helps us finance evangelism, world evangelism, taking the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. So um, this thing is going to be incredibly packed uh, with things that are not just going to teach you about faith righteousness, but going to open your eyes to a whole lot of other topics. One of the things that I've discovered, and I talk about this in at a lot of different places. As a matter of fact, in my book, uh, Leadership That Builds People, you know, I talk about the need to prioritize uh, the mess, the messages that we preach and what we're studying, how how we're seeking to understand things. You know, there are a lot of things uh, that Jesus told us: do this first. Take, in other words, take care of this first. Learn this first. Well, why would there be things that Jesus would prioritize over other truth, because all truth is important. Well, prioritizing truth is one of those things that it, it, it's sort of like, it's sort of like when, you're, when you're sick, sometimes if you can get to the root of the problem and solve the problem at the root, then what happens suddenly, 10 or 20 of your symptoms go away. Years ago, when I was doing my clinical studies, I, you know, have people come in and many of you know, you know, for years we had a clinic here and, and we, it was a general health clinic as well as a substance abuse clinic. But in order for me to get my certifications, I had to do clinical trials. And so, and so when people would come in, they would often come in and, and people would have uh, five pages of a legal pad, uh, single space lines of symptoms that they were having. I mean, so they, they might be having 40 or 50 symptoms or more. And so they had lost all hope. They'd gone, they, they'd gone and gotten every kind of treatment that you could imagine. And so to, based on what they were being told, you know, they have 10 different diseases. Well, uh, one of the things that we did in the type of medicine that I practice is we made a, dis a distinguishing determination between 
what we call root and branch. And uh, the root is what is causing the symptoms. The branch are the individual ways that it's manifesting in the body. And all the fruit that's growing on those branches are the symptoms. Now, I learned very early on that you could spend your lifetime treating symptoms and it would never end because as quickly as you get rid of one symptom, another symptom comes or that symptom soon comes back. And so I learned that if you get to the root of what a problem is, that many times 10 or 15 symptoms may disappear by solving a core problem. Now, the way the gospel has been preached to us, and you know, we could spend hours just talking about whether or not we've ever even really heard the gospel based on the scriptural point of view. Uh, but the way the gospel is presented, there is no biblical scriptural priority about the things that we need to deal with first. And so the result is there are things in our belief system that we should actually sort out really right off the bat in the first weeks uh, after uh, surrendering our life to Jesus. And uh, if we would deal with these root things first, then most of the day-to-day -day life problems that we have would just disappear, but we don't. We go from sermon to sermon to sermon, and I'm not saying those sermons are bad or there's anything wrong with them, but, you know, a string of sermons that you hear all year long. And, and man, I know some people that, that preach incredible sermons. I mean, they are biblical. They are uh, uh, right straight out of the finished work of Jesus. But the problem is when they are not taught in priority, uh, then we end up being like that person that would that would come into our clinic and, uh, and, and, and they're just trying to pick fruit. They're just trying to solve one symptom after another symptom and you never get through solving symptoms. And so we have seen people learn to deal with core beliefs, and very specifically, beliefs of the heart, and, and that's way bigger than just using the terminology. But when people deal with the beliefs of the heart in the priority that God says we should deal with them, it is amazing how many small daily problems get resolved. We don't have to deal with them anymore. We put them behind us. Well, righteousness, the doctrine of righteousness. And man, I know when people hear any mention of the fact that you're going to teach on righteousness, they head for the hills. They're like, they're, they're scared to death. It's going to be some legalistic bondage or it's going to go the other stream, extreme. It's going to be something that is nonsensical, mystical, uh, and lends itself toward liberalism and, and permissiveness. And, uh, and righteousness doesn't do either of those things. Righteousness should never be uh, a legalistic bondage, and it should never be uh, liberalistic permissiveness. But uh, so, so people are incredibly, incredibly confused by or about the doctrine of righteousness. 
And uh, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that we can't go on to maturity. Now, the King James over in, over in uh, uh, Hebrews uh, 6 uses the word perfection, going on to perfection. And so that's really a poor translation. And, and we read about going on to perfection, and we come with this idea that's reaching some kind of state of flawlessness, and everybody knows they're never going to become flawless in their behavior in this life. So right off the bat, it's like, I can't do that. There's no sense in me even listening to a message about that. So again, people get discouraged. But you see the word perfection in most of your translations, and that's really just talking about maturity. It's really talking about coming to a place where you are stable and your life is working because of what you are experiencing with God in your, in your journey with God. And the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that until we become stable in the doctrine of righteousness, we cannot get to the place of maturity and stability. We will always be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. We'll always struggle with, with uh, failure and sin in our individual lives. We'll always have guilt and shame and condemnation. But uh, you know what? I want to help you with that. I want to help you move from wherever you are, not saying that you're at the at the, at the wrong place, not saying you're doing something wrong, but moving from where you are to this place of maturity, this place of stability, this place where what you believe really, really works. And that will only happen when what you believe is based on uh, experiencing Jesus as your righteousness. Now, uh, again, all of these terminologies that I'm going to be using, you know, faith righteousness or Jesus as our righteousness, the thing that's we're going to have to do that's going to make it so challenging is there are so many ways those concepts are defined by pop theology that's not even biblically based. And, uh, and you know, we're going to have to be willing to discover the meanings of some words and some phrases that are used regularly in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you today what my very first pastor told me. When I gave my life to the Lord, uh, I had grown up in a religious Bible Belt family, which basically the average religious Bible Belt family did not go to church. Uh, they might go to church at Easter and Christmas, but we didn't even do that. But, uh, but, it's amazing that these families that didn't ever go to church didn't ever read the Bible. As a matter of fact, I can remember when I was a kid listening to uh, my older relatives talk about the fact that if you, in their mind, it was a fact that if you read the Bible too much, it would drive you crazy. And there were people that lived close to us and, and, you know, my grandmother, uh, different family members, they would say, you can't really talk to that person because they've, they've gone crazy from reading the Bible too much. And so uh, uh, I heard so many crazy things growing up about God, about the Bible, and in my heart, I knew it couldn't be true. 
I knew that God could not be as goofy and as messed up as everybody accused him of being. I knew that walking with God should not be so religious and, and complicated. And so really, I was turned off to God because, you know, there were two groups of people that would want to talk to me about God. And one was the people who were crazy with religion. They weren't crazy from actually reading and believing the Bible. They were crazy because they had so many goofy religious beliefs. And then there were the people that felt like children really shouldn't be taught the Bible because they couldn't understand it. Matter of fact, I can remember when I was about when I was about five years old, I can remember uh, one of the few times we ever went to church. Uh, I followed the preacher out to the front of the building, and we had a, had a sidewalk, some a porch and some steps and a sidewalk that went out to the parking lot. And so I, I followed the preacher out there, and I remember he was talking, and I, I literally, at about five years old, I got the tail of his coat, and I was pulling on it, and he turned around and asked me what I wanted, and I told him I wanted to know God. And he told me I was too young and that I should come back to him when I got older so I could understand it. Man, I'm telling you, I look back and I just think of how much misery I had in my life because I didn't get led to Jesus as a child when I was desperately, desperately hungry to know God. So all my years in growing up, all my years out on drugs and crime and doing all the crazy things that I did, uh, in my heart, I, I always wanted to know God, but I didn't want to know religion. I did not want, I didn't care what the Baptists, the Pentecostals, the Church of Christ, the Catholics, I didn't care what any of those people said about God because I didn't believe them. I didn't trust them. I didn't see anything in their life that I wanted that I felt like would make my life better. And so as many of you have heard me say, the day I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't understand this is what it means to uh, confess Jesus as Lord. It, it's not just saying the words. It's not just calling him Lord with your mouth. It's about calling him Lord because of what you believe in your heart. But when I gave my life to Jesus, the one major commitment that I made was this. I will never believe anything about you that I don't read in the Bible for myself. And the second thing is, I will never, ever, ever play church. I hate that stuff, and I probably use some profanity in my prayer to God about how much I hate religion and how much I, I, I hate church. So the two key things was, I'm going to believe on you. And probably the third thing that was involved in that decision was this. Uh, I gave my life to him, as, and I said, look, people say this has got something to do with you dying for me. I don't even know what that means, but I want to see it in the Bible. So I started out prayerfully reading the Bible. I didn't understand. I was so fortunate. You know, the ancient Hebrews said that the, the way you read the Bible is when you you read the Bible, and, and whatever you read, whatever you think you understand from it, the final thing you should do when you read anything is your prayer should be, in light of how I'm seeing this, how do I put this in practice? What will this look like in my life? 
that's the way I read and prayed uh, about the Bible, about the scriptures that I read. And that was, you know, over 50 years ago. And I still do that to this very day. I want to know what this looks like if I put it into practice. So when I, I was so fortunate, and again, I think this was a Holy Spirit thing, because the church that I chose to go to, uh, I had to choose a church within walking distance. I was in a drug deal with some guys that were pretty serious drug dealers. And now that I was giving my life to the Lord, I didn't want to deal drugs anymore. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in that life anymore. And so I had to sell all my music equipment, which is what I used to make money with. I made money playing music and bars and selling drugs. And so, uh, I, you know, I sold all my music equipment. And I, I finally had to sell my vehicle because I had to come up with this money to pay these guys back to buy my end out of this out of this drug deal that I'd gotten into, or this deal with these drug dealers. And so, uh, so I was on foot, and I knew I had to find a church within walking distance. But my my decision was this: I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read all of the New Testament. I didn't really even understand there was an Old and New Testament, by the way. I just happened to have a a little Gideon's New Testament, which was, it had the book of Psalms and Proverbs, and it had the, the New Testament. And so um, I just sat down and started reading the New Testament, read the New Testament probably all the way through, maybe even a couple of times before I ever went to church the first time, because I was not going to go and listen to somebody tell me what was in the Bible. If I couldn't find it myself, if I couldn't see it myself, then I wasn't going to accept it as true. If somebody said it was in the Bible, I was going to go home and I was going to look it up. So anyhow, I found a church within walking distance and, and I go in and, uh, you know, I go there a couple of Sundays and I walk the aisle one Sunday and I go down and I make a public profession of faith and uh, wanted to get baptized. And so the pastor, you know, I met with him and I, man, I'm so thankful that my journey started out this way. And I want you to listen real closely to this. I don't want you to just make this my story. You make this your story. He, he, he said, let me see your Bible. And so I showed him my little Gideon's Bible, which obviously he knew that I had stolen out of a motel. And, uh, and he said, now listen. The Bible was not written in English. Don't ever work, look a word up in an English dictionary and think you know what it means. And so he, he showed me four really important tools. And he said, you just need to save up the money and spend the money and buy this. Number one, he showed me what back then was the best study Bible you could buy. Now, it's not the one I'd recommend today, but it was, it was the New Schofield Study Bible. And he showed me how to use it. It was a reference Bible. He showed me how to use it. And, and that way I could understand things about the Bible I was reading. Second thing, he showed me a, uh, a Greek Hebrew lexicon, how to use it. Third thing, he showed me a, a, a Crudence Complete Concordance, where you could look up any word that was in the Bible, you could find it. And, and the fourth thing, which was so powerful, was a Knaves topical Bible. Now, every bit of that stuff you can get online for free. You, can, you don't have to buy it. I mean, I, it took me weeks and weeks after I got a job of saving money to be able to afford that. 
So I started off saying, I got to find in the Bible myself. And, uh, and it wasn't written in English, so I got to understand what it says in the original language. So that's the journey that I made. That's the journey that I'm encouraging you to make. And, and But I want you to add this one part to it, this one caveat, and that is everything that you learn, everything that you read, every insight that you feel like you get through these messages or through reading the Bible. Number one, if you get an insight through these messages, go to the Bible, read it yourself, study it, write notes about it, look up their look up the words in the original language. You know, you can get what's called a blue letter Bible on your cell phone for free, where you can look up words in the Greek and the Hebrew. And there are several free Bible study programs. All you got to do is do a Google search. It says, you know, free Bible study programs uh, with Greek and Hebrew. And, and it'll give you a list of them that you, that you can put on your computer, that you can put on your phone or whatever. And uh, so, you, you know, start treating the Bible like these actually are the words of life. And and until you see something yourself and understand it yourself, then, then you don't need to accept it as being true. But your final prayer, anytime you're reading, you say it needs to be, okay, Father, in, in light of how I'm seeing this today, how do I put this into practice? What you know, what what are you speaking to me about applying this to my life? So so we're gonna be talking about righteousness, and I'm telling you, righteousness is going to become the basis whereby you are in fact going to be able to understand who God is. And you're going to be able to understand and recognize very quickly when you are getting exposed to doctrine that may not be totally false, but it's doctrine that will take you off track in your walk with God. Romans chapter one, and this is our text for, for, for this week, because remember, this week, we're talking about the, the revelation of righteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the apostle Paul is writing. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, remember, the gospel of Christ, uh, and Paul, he, he actually lays out the three components of the gospel of Christ in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the first four verses, and the gospel has to include what the scripture says about what occurred while Jesus was on the cross, what the scripture says about what occurred when Jesus was in the grave, and what the scripture says about what occurred when Jesus was raised from the dead. And you know what? You, you're going you're to spend all of your life discovering more and more and more about what that means. But I want you to understand the great majority of people who make a decision to follow Jesus have really never even heard the gospel. They've heard some component of it. They've had, they've heard maybe a little bit about the cross or, or, but, but they very seldom have heard what the scriptures has occurred on the cross in the grave and in the resurrection. And very few people who are seeking to follow God have made any kind of a commitment to Jesus as Lord and absolutely have no understanding of righteousness. So that doesn't mean they're not born again. It means this is why they're, they are not mature. It's why they're not stable. It's why they're on and off and slipping and falling. And everything. So he, Paul says, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, because the gospel 
is the power of God unto salvation. Now, again, don't define salvation as just being the new birth. Salvation is to be saved, healed, uh, blessed, delivered, prospered, protected, made whole, protected. I mean, uh, uh, led. And, and it, really, salvation gets into every aspect of what we have as the consequence of, of inviting Jesus into our life as Lord. Now, but also you notice it says that, that the gospel of Christ is the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes. Jesus died for everybody, but people who don't believe that aren't going to benefit from it. They're not going to get born again. God wants them to be born again. He's doing everything he can for them to get born again, but it's not going to benefit a person who does not believe that truth. And then verse 17, he goes on to say about the gospel. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now that word revealed is interesting because in the Greek language of the New Testament, it means to take the lid off something. Now, if you take the lid off, off of, a, of a pot that's cooking on the stove, you can, you can look into the pot. You can see what's actually cooking in the pot. You can smell it. You can get the aroma. You, you, know, you can get a sense of what it's going to taste like. And so when it talks about the righteousness being revealed, really it's talking about making it understandable to you, making it where you can see and perceive what uh, the righteousness of God really, really looks like. And, and then it goes on to say that the righteousness of God is going to be revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just, or those who are declared righteous, live by faith. And we're going to get into all of that. It's going to make sense to you. But I want you to understand this. You know, our, our tendency is to say that righteousness comes by works. Well, that's absolutely not what the Bible teaches. And this verse right here that it's referring to, I think from the book of Hosea, I think it is, where it says that the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, that, that makes it clear. You don't, the, to be righteous, you don't live by works. You don't live by religious deeds. You don't live by doing. It's not the fact that you do all of the right things that make you righteous. It's the fact that you learn how to receive and walk in righteousness as, uh, as a gift from God and as, as an act of faith. Uh, but uh, it's important to realize that every aspect of the gospel should point us to and help us understand righteousness as a work of faith. So first of all, that means it can't be a work of religion. It can't be dead works. It can't be something that we actually earn from God. But secondly, it can't be uh, a work of predestination of God where, where God just gives it to you apart from faith. Now, there are more people who call themselves Christian who refuse to believe that righteousness is a work of faith from beginning to end. Uh, they will believe that you can earn it by obeying all the commandments of God. And I'm listen, I'm for the commandments. And you'll learn about the value of the commandments and how, to, how they can be incredibly important to you, but you don't get your life caught up in trying to earn righteousness from God through the commandments. 
And then there are other people that say, well, see, God just makes everybody righteous because everybody's going to go to heaven. No, that's not utter nonsense. Uh, everything that God does with anybody, he it, it occurs between God and between that person because they believe the truth in their heart. They walk by faith. They live by faith. And so we're going to discover what all of that means and what all of that looks like. You know, I would really encourage you uh, today, uh, as we get to the end of this message, immediately just go, you might want to go back and listen to it a couple of times. You might want to look up some scriptures about righteousness, but you might want to immediately, uh, all right, God, if, if righteousness is so incredibly important, then, uh, uh and, and it's got to be a work of faith, then I'm giving you permission to work in my life. So God doesn't violate your will. He's, he is not going to force you to do anything. Religion tells you he will, but I'm telling you the Bible says that he won't. And so it's like, I want you to work in my life. I want you to show me what it's going to look like to, to walk in faith righteousness, to walk in something that you're giving me as a free gift that I'm receiving by faith, and that actually makes my life better. Now, listen, uh, next week we'll be uh, offering the series that goes along with this. And uh, it's going to take you, like I say, much, much, much deeper into this journey. You may want to go back and listen to this a couple of times. And I'm telling you, this is going to be a great journey for you. Share this with your friends. Share this with people who have been struggling and their faith just hasn't been working. It's going to help them. Listen, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.